Hamburger walks into a bar. Bartender says, we don't serve food here. Hamburger says, it's okay, I just want a drink. Speaking of drinks, this week's Parsha, Parsha's Shlach. We read about the drinks in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple. What are known as the libation offerings. We mentioned them in our in our tefillas, in our prayers, when we uh, mentioned the phrase, Oilas HaTomid Veniska. The, the daily offering was an oila, a burnt offering, with a libation. Veniska means it's libation. And that's wine that they would pour on the altar um, along with the animal sacrifice. And where we read about it originally is in this week's Pasha, Pasha Shlach. In fact, where do we read about it? Right after the famous incident, the debacle with the spies. We know the story just very, very briefly. Uh, it was time to enter the land. It was a little bit over a year after the Jews had left Egypt and they were ready to enter the land. And they, and, and they sent spies, one representative from each tribe to go spy out the land. And they came back with an evil report. And they said, no, we cannot enter the land. And it was a whole terrible thing. And Hashem decreed that that generation would die out, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and then their children would enter the land. Right after that story is where we read about the libations, about the wine that they would pour on the altar along with the offerings. Now, everything in the Torah is significant, even the order of things. So the question is, why is the debacle of the spies juxtaposed with the section about the libation offerings. One answer, and this is the answer given by the Ramban, by Nachmanides, is that since the people had just been told after the, the, the whole incident with the spies, Hashem basically said, look, you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about, you're not entering the land. So they felt really bad. So therefore, the libation offering was a sort of a, a consolation prize to comfort them because that section that talks about the libation offerings is introduced with the words, when you arrive in the land that I'm giving you, meaning the future land of Israel, then the one who brings his offering to Hashem will present a wine libation along with the offering. In other words, starts off by mentioning that they will eventually, not them, but their children will enter the land. And um, so they had just been told about not entering the land, so they're, they, they're sort of comforted and consoled with this section about the libations, because the libations, Hashem says, you will give those libations in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple, when you enter the land. Okay, that's the answer of the Ramban. It's, it's, a, it's a nice explanation, but it's not 100% satisfactory for us because if that's the case, if that's the reason for the juxtaposition, then really it could have been any mitzvah that is connected to the land. Meaning it could have been at any mitzvah that's done in the Beis HaMikdash, uh, or it could have been one of the many, many agricultural mitzvahs that are connected to the land of Israel. And it could have been any one of those, and it would have had the same effect of saying to them, well, you're not entering the land now. There is going to be this penalty of 40 years of wandering, but eventually you'll enter the land and you'll do such, such and such, this, you know, this mitzvah, right? 
Um, it doesn't explain to us why specifically of all mitzvahs, it's the libation offering. So that's one question we have. What is the specific relationship between the libation offering and the story of the spies that the libation offerings are said right after that episode? That's, that's our first question. Okay. Now, uh, a second question. In the Gemara, in uh, Brachas, Daf Yudalad Omid Base, it says, Ula says that if somebody says Shema without Tfilin, doesn't mean someone who says Shema and, and, and it has to, doesn't mean you have to wear Tfilin every, every single time you say Shema, but it means somebody who says Shema but doesn't, say, doesn't put on Tfilin, it's as if he bore false witness, false testimony against himself. That's, that's what Ula says. Then it says, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba says in the name of Rabbi Yechnon, that it's as if, if somebody says Shema, but he doesn't put on tefillin, it's as if he brought an offering, a sacrifice, without a libation. Without a libation. Okay. So, Regarding Ula's statement that a person who says Shema and he doesn't put on tefillin, it's like he's bearing false false witness. That makes sense because in the Shema, it talks about tefillin. So you're saying something and then you're not doing it. You're saying the Shema, which talks about tefillin and then not putting on tefillin. It's like bearing false witness. That that part makes sense. But what does it mean, in the name of Rabbi Yechnan, that if you say Shema and you don't put on tefillin, it's like bringing a sacrifice but not bringing the libation with it. Like, what kind of a comparison is that? What, what, what's the comparison? So now we have two questions. The first question is, what's the connection between the story of the spies and the parsha, the section about the libation offerings? And then the second question is, this interesting Gemara in Brochus that uh, Rabbi Yechanan says that if you say Shema and you don't put on tefillin, it's like bringing an offering without a libation. Okay, so that's... That's our two questions. Now, we'll get back to this, but I want to tell you a story. Oh, actually, it's a story and a song. You didn't know I was a singer? Well, I'm going to prove it to you <laughs> that I'm not a singer in a moment with Hashem's help. The story is like this. A little background. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, the first Rebbe of Chabad, is known to have composed 10 Nagunim. It's possible he composed more than that, but there, it's a known thing that there were 10 Nagunim at least that he composed. Now, one of the, these nagunim is Ka'il Tarek. Now, I, just, I first want to clarify, anyone who knows nagunim, you may have heard of Ka'il Tarek of the Tzemach Tzedek. That's the altar of his grandson, who he raised. He also had a nigun Ka'il Tarek, and it's fairly well known because Avram Fried recorded it on an album. And that, that's the Ka'il Tarek, Alafike Mai. See, I'm not a singer. At any rate, but this is not the Ka'il Tarek we're talking about. The Kael Tarek we're talking about is from the Alter Rebbe. And it's a very interesting song. Um, first of all, musically, it's an interesting song because it's only one stanza. Uh, in, in fact, we don't even properly refer to it as a nigun. We call it a tenua. It's just one tenua. One phrase that just repeats over and over again. So musically, it's a little unusual. But lyrically, it's super unusual. Lyrically, um, well, I'll tell you the words. It starts off, it says, Those are words from uh, chapter 42 of Psalms, capital uh, membase of, of Tehillim. 
And the words literally mean, like a ram thirsts by the river. And then the rest of the verse is, uh, so does my soul thirst for you, O Hashem. But it doesn't say that. In the, in the song, it doesn't finish the verse. It says the beginning part of the verse, like a ram is thirsting by the river, but it doesn't say the rest of it, so, so does my soul thirst for you. What it does is, it takes the first half of that verse, like a ram is thirsting by the river, and then it sort of puts it, to, splices it together with another, a totally different verse, not even from, from, from the same book, not from Tehillim, from, uh, from something from Chumash, from, from Dvorim, actually, which is a line from the Shema. means, and it shall be for you frontlets between your eyes, which is referring to the head filling. So it's a very funny song, lyrically. Like a ram is thirsting by the water brook, by the river, which is chapter 42 of Psalms. It should be for you frontlets between your eyes, which is a line from Shema. So, like, what is the juxtaposition of these two phrases? Um, it's, 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 it's a non sequitur, or it seems to be a non sequitur. A non sequitur literally means something that does not follow. How do you get from A to B? It just doesn't make sense how, you know, one thing has to do with the next thing. Now, I'll tell you a little bit also about the background, how we have this nigun. And that is that the mashpia, Reb Greinim, they used to call him Reb Greinim, Reb Shmuel Greinim Esteran. He was a mashpia in Labavitch. And uh, he met a very, very old man who had been in the court of the Alter Rebbe in Liazhna. Now, Greinim passed away a little bit after World War One. I. I think maybe 1920 or so. And I think he was born in the, in the 1850s. So I don't know when Grenum met this fellow, but the Alter Rebbe was nostalgic in 1813. So this guy was at least 40 years older than Grenum, and maybe a lot older. Um, so this old man, he was a, when he was a child, he was, he was blind. And his father brought him to the Alter Rebbe in Liazhna. And he said, my, my son is blind. And the Alter Rebbe took a Zayar, a Sefer Zayar, the Kabbalistic text, and he handed it to the boy and he told him, open it up and read. Well, the boy was blind, but he opened up the Sefer and he started reading. Uh, but at first it was, it was like slow, stilted, because the words were fuzzy. So the, the Alter Rebbe told him, say it high, you know, say it loud. And then it became completely clear and he was able to read and his vision was restored. So after that, this young man stayed in Liazhna, and he learned there full-time. And there was a group of Hasidic singers, a choir, musicians. And he joined them, and he learned many, many songs. And one of those songs he learned was Ke'al Tareg of the Alter Rebbe, which he heard from the Alter Rebbe. And then many, many, many decades subsequent to that, he met Greinim, and he taught this nigun to Greinim, and Greinim is the one who proliferated it. At any rate, so that's that's the, the, the history behind it. And uh, like I said, I'm not a singer, but it goes like this. Okay. Grenum explained 
what this nigun is doing, why these weird words, why are they put together. He explained it like this. There's something called ratza and there's something called shuv. Running and returning. The upward and the downward. So he says like this. Like a ram is thirsting by the water brook. That's the desire that a Jew has to leave the body, to leave this physical shell, to abandon the material world. The thirst, the yearning, the pining of the soul. Okay? To go, to get out of here. But then you realize, hold on a second, I can't, I can't just return my soul to my maker. That would be selfish. I have to make a U-turn. I have to come back here to the place where my soul was sent to do the mission that I was sent on. Come back down. And you can hear it musically because it goes up, you know, because that's the yearning. It comes back down. Okay, that's the explanation of, of the Nigun. It's the Ratz of Ashuv. I want to leave. I want to escape the body. And then I realize, no, no, come back down. And specifically, means putting on tefillin. A physical mitzvah, you do with physical tefillin made from the physical hide of a physical cow. You know, it's, 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 it's anything but spiritual. It's physical. It grounds you. It brings you back to what we call mitzvahs mysias. Action-related mitzvahs. Here in the world that you do with your body, grounded. Okay? So you have that spiritual desire to leave, and then you turn, come back down, and do a physical act, do a mitzvah here in this world. Okay. Now, Understanding all that, let's go back to our original questions. Our first question was, remember our first question? Why the libation offerings are discussed right after the story of the spies? The spies spurned the idea of physical mitzvahs. The spies wanted to stay in yeshiva forever. They liked it. They liked the wilderness. They drank water from the well of Miriam. They ate bread from heaven. They didn't have to have jobs. When they would go into the land, they knew they would get involved in city building and infrastructure and agriculture. What do you need it for? Now, what they didn't realize is the whole point of Yiddishkeit are the physical mitzvahs in the land. In fact, when Meishe Rabbeinu was desirous of entering the land, when Meishe Rabbeinu at the end of his life, and he wanted more than anything else, he wanted to enter the land. Why did he want to enter the land? Because he wanted to visit the King David Hotel? I mean, why, why did Meishu Rabbeinu want to enter Eretz Yisrael? Because of all those mitzvahs, hundreds of mitzvahs, that can only be done in the land. But the Meraglim, the spies, they didn't realize that. They didn't value that. They said, we have it all. Okay, it's beautiful. We're in the wilderness. We have Torah already. Torah had already been given. And we can learn Torah. We can learn it on an abstract level, on, a, on, a, on an intellectual level. And we don't need to do physical mitzvahs. 
So they made a big, big, big mistake. What was the answer? What was the answer to their big mistake? The libation offerings. That was the answer. You know why? Because you have two things. You have the animal sacrifice, the offering. What do, what do you do with that? You burn that. Put that on the altar and you burn it and it goes up in flame. So that's the upward motion. Flames go up. You ever hold a match like this? You learn real quick. You know, the flame licks your fingers. Flame goes up. But the whole thing is about an ascent. You burn that animal and you convert material into energy, right? The, 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 the matter turns into energy, turns into flame. It's an ascent. The whole thing is ascent. You're taking the animal and you're burning it on the altar and it goes up in flames. And it's a heavenly fire and it transforms the, 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 the physical animal into this light, this warmth of this heavenly flame. Okay. So that's upward. The uh, libations are downward. It's liquid. It falls. It flows down. Now you can say everything goes down. There's gravity. Yeah, but liquid really goes down. You know, solid things, you could stack them up at least. But liquid always spreads out, goes down. And the libation offering, not only did they go down onto the altar, but like the Gemara in Sukkah says, there were two pipes. There was a drainage system in the altar and the libation for the libation offerings to go down the drainage system and go into the ground. So, the sacrifices are getting burnt up in flames and going up in flames. The libations are going down, they're pouring down, and then they're going down in the drainage system and into the ground. So you have the up and you have the down. The whole idea of the libation offerings is to have that cool drink coming downward to counter the upward flame, the upward thrust of the burning of the animal offering. So, the spies were guys who didn't care about material mitzvahs, actually doing mitzvahs in this world to make this world a holier place. They wanted Yiddishkeit to be all spiritual. So the response was, hey guys, you need a cool drink. <laughs> you need to remember there's something called a libation offering that goes down, that you have to make that U-turn. You can't just be into the spiritual ecstasy where you want to get spiritually high, you have to make that U-turn come back down into physical mitzvahs. Just like if you're thirsting for spirituality, like a deer by the, by the, by the water brook, bring it down, do a physical mitzvah. So that's, that's the, the first question we've answered. The juxtaposition of the story of the spies and the section about the libations. Now let's, let's deal with our second question. Remember our second question? Why did Rabbi Yechanan say, of all things, a person who says Shema, and doesn't put on tefillin, it's like he brings the animal offering and he doesn't pour the libation with it. Why, why compare it to that? But it's very simple now. Now we understand. What's Shema? Shema is the prayer of martyrdom, of Kiddush Hashem. How many Jews throughout history, unfortunately, left this world with those holy words on their lips? Because when we proclaim Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein, Hashem Echot, Hashem is oneness, Hashem is the all, is the everything. That is an act of surrender, of self-sacrifice. When Rabbi Akiva was martyred by the Romans, when they, when they tore his flesh apart with iron combs, his neshama left him with the word Echot. He said Hashem is one, and his soul joined and re, 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 was, was, was subsumed again within the one, returned to the one. So... The whole idea of Shema is that surrender, that, that, that running away, leaving my separate selfhood and, and, and being included back in the oneness and the everything, which is a beautiful thing to want, of course. But th then what are you going to do with that energy? Just leave the world? Then what good is that? How, how have you fulfilled your mission? 
So you have to take that energy, that spiritual energy that makes you want to leave the world, and you have to redirect it to the exact 180 turn. Come back down. Come back down and do a physical mitzvah. Like putting on tefillin. Like putting on tefillin. So somebody who says Shman doesn't put on tefillin, that means I want to be one with Hashem, I want to leave my body behind, I want to just be, be absorbed in the light. Well, beautiful, but take that enthusiasm and channel it. Do a 180 turn. You turn, come back into the physical world and take that passion and do a mitzvah with that passion. So that's why someone who says Shema and doesn't put on tefillin, it's like he wants the offering, the animal offering that burns up in fire, but he doesn't want to pour the libation offering, the drink that goes down and brings him back into a grounded state. Makes perfect sense. And in fact, you know, especially when we're talking about tefillin, and, uh, you know, from the song, the head tefillin, makes a lot of sense because, you know, the tefillin, the head filling has, has a knot on the back. And then from the knot comes out the straps. And the straps come down the forward, come down the front of the person. According to halacha, those straps have to go to the navel, to the belly button. And they can even go longer. Some make it, you know, dafka, they make it longer. What's the idea here? The head filling means divine consciousness. It means being aware of Hashem. Okay? But it's not enough just to be aware of Hashem in, a, in, a, in an intellectual way, in an abstract way, or like the spies, you know, they just wanted to learn Torah in the wilderness without doing the actual mitzvahs. You have to take that God consciousness that's in your mind and you, you, br you bring it down. And in fact, Kabbalah explains one strap is Surmeira and the other strap is Asei Taif. Go away from evil and do good. And those straps, they come down past the navel meaning to the lower half of the person. And the higher half of the person, you have the mind, you have the heart, that's the intellect, the emotions, the things that make us uniquely human. Below the lower half of the human being, what do you have? You have the excretory system and the reproductive system. Two, two functions where if you don't imbue it with sanctity, we're, 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 we're like animals. So the whole idea of the, the, the head filling is that the straps, they come down and you sanctify even the lower parts of, 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 of the human experience. So that's the whole concept. The libation offering. To give Hashem a drink. That cool downward flow. That when you feel that excitement of Shema Yisrael, you ground it, you pull it down, do a physical deed, do an action, put on tefillin. When you feel like Ka'al Tarek Galafikei Mayim, when you want to leave, because you have that thirst, you want to just leave your body. Okay, beautiful. Now rechannel it. Put it into something that makes this world a better place. Oh, you may say so for you.